You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. So many things are going on, the Lord at work, and in its exciting time to be part of church. And so I extend my welcome to you here this morning, whether you're here in the room or joining us online, my privilege uh, to bring us the word and an introduction to our new series based in the teaching of Jesus, and it's called Seek First His Kingdom. Not seeking first our kingdom, that is alive and well in all of us. Seeking to to be first, to come first, we all know about that. That's not what this is about. This is about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which are words that are found in Matthew chapter six, part of the Sermon on the Mount. A few weeks ago, I enjoyed a conversation with two CLM kids. They were in our prayer meeting first thing on a Sunday morning. And as I walked in, Toby and Ite, who are often on the second row worshiping their hearts out, you may have seen them, they were conferring together about something, looking concerned. I went over and said, what what are you on with boys? They were trying to find the reference for a verse they'd been learning for CLM kids. They knew the words, but they didn't know where it was. They said, do you know, can you help us? It's every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. I said, oh, that's from James 1. Anyone know what verse? 17. 17. Good, we see why you're on the front row. Well done, Mark. So we looked it up, we checked it. They were all good. I commended them for learning the verse, and on we went. That was all good. A couple of weeks later, I'm in church on a Sunday morning. I've just preached. I get accosted by them. Accosted, they were very polite. They're very good lads. But there's uh, you know, lots of people around. Well, they come up, they say, Do you, can you remember James 1.17? I said, yes, I can remember James 1.17, and I said it. He went, how about Jeremiah 29.11? I said, um, it's for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Manage that one. Straight back he comes. How about Jeremiah 31.3? I said, ooh, 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 starting to feel under pressure now. I said, is it I've loved you with an everlasting love and drawn you with loving kindness? He went, yes, but it's unfailing kindness. The good man. I'm now aware there's people beginning to tune in and look. Is the pastor going to be a call out here? He then says, what about Psalm 56 verse 3? I said, ooh. I don't know Psalm 56, verse 3. And he said, it's when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. I was like, thank you, Ite. You've just taught me a new verse. How brilliant to be challenged on your Bible verses by an eight-year-old. I say more of that. And uh, I'm grateful to Ite for teaching me a new verse. I plan to keep memorizing scripture until I go home to meet the author. And I encourage us all to be learners of the Bible and to encourage our kids to do that too. One of the very first verses that I learned was Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. Those were the words when I learned it. And all these things will be added to you as well. I learned the verse and then it was kind of pressed into me by a chorus we used to sing a lot in the 1980s with those very words. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added on to you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And there were a lot of hallelujahs. I won't sing it for you, but if you were around in the 1980s, you'll remember it, I'm sure. I learned the verse, but I'm not sure I knew what it meant. In fact, I'm fairly confident I didn't know what it meant to seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness. And in fact, much of Jesus' teaching goes on to kind of build on this foundational principle that's articulated in this verse. Many of the stories that he subsequently told were to help people understand what the kingdom of God is like because it's very different to an earthly kingdom. He wanted them to help them understand what he meant. And in the next few weeks in this series, we're gonna be dipping into some of those stories. But today we're gonna start in Matthew 6, thinking what is it that Jesus was saying to his followers? How does this speak to us here and now today? So we're gonna go to Matthew 6, we're gonna read from uh, verse 19 to 34. Feel free to turn there, or I think it's gonna come up on the screen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, or generous, as the footnote says. Your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy or stingy, as the footnote says, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. These are the words of Jesus. These might be familiar verses uh, for many of us. Jesus is covering a lot of ground in a short space of time, and he's going deep quick. He's speaking about the heart, and the use of the word heart here, it, it means the very seat of your inner self. It means your, your life, your soul, your mind, your spirit. That's what's encapsulated in this word heart. So Jesus is speaking to them about their heart, their life. He's speaking to them about their treasure, what really matters to them. And we have this slightly curious wording about the eye being the lamp of the body, which can be healthy or unhealthy, or, or as the footnote in our Bibles tells us, the New Testament Greek word really implies generous or stingy. Jesus is talking to them about their outlook, 
how they view things. He's talking about money as he so often did. He's speaking about their heart, their outlook, their money. This is pretty all-encompassing stuff. He's touching on the desires and the drives that can dominate and shape our lives. The things that we want. So often, we want it all, don't we? Or as much as possible. We want to have a great family, and we want to have a great job. We want to have career success, and we want to have long holidays. Amen to that. We want faith, but then there's some other things that we want to have too, and we hate to choose. In our family, particularly when the kids were smaller, we had a game we used to often play, this or that, you may be familiar. It used to be very useful if you had to wait somewhere and people were expected to sit quietly because that wasn't a natural strength of young children, is it? So a game to play is good. So in this game, this or that, if you don't know it, basically each person, when it comes to their turn, they present a choice. And uh, then everybody else around the table has to go in and say, which is their choice? You just have to literally make one. There's no qualifying comments allowed. You just have to make a choice. So example, you might say, okay, sweets or crisps? That would be the choice. So we'll have a little go at this in the room. If you're joining online, feel free to post your choice in the chat. I've seen Sophie and Joe, you're on. Feel free to post your, uh, your answer. And in the room, literally, I'm going to say the choice, then I'll say one. And if uh, that's your choice, you put your hand up, then I'll say the other. But you have to choose one. You're not allowed to keep your hand down unless you've got an issue with your shoulder, in which case just put a thumb. That's all fast or fine. So you've got to keep an eye on your neighbor, make sure they're joining in. All right, so sweets or, sweets or crisps. So sweets, oh, and hands down, crisps. Wow, the crisps get it overwhelmingly in the room this morning. Here's a few more then. Uh, so we'll go coffee or tea. What is, if you're a coffee, there's lots of coffee drinkers, and thank you, tea. Oh, the tea drinkers get it, the tea drinkers get it, very good, thank you, you're getting the idea. Okay, football or basketball? Football, hands down, thank you. Basketball, oh, football just gets it on that one. How about this one then, Insta or TikTok? Ooh, people are going, oh, what do you mean? Do I have to delete it? Was it, you wanna know, don't you? You're nervous now. Okay, hands up, Insta, thank you, and TikTok. Oh, Insta gets it on that, very good. What you see here is, some of these choices we're happy, we'll just go with it. Others you're like, what do you mean by that? What's this gonna mean, what's this gonna cost me? I'm not so sure about this, it's just a game, don't worry. A few more though, let's go, a big rivals, orange juice or apple juice? Orange juice, okay, hands down, apple juice. Well done Simone for making a choice. Apple juice gets it here in the room. Here we are then, city break or beach? City break? Oh, no, beach. Oh, the beach gets it. I think there's a beach trip needed for Coventry Church. That would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> Very good. Last one then. Pillow or duvet? Pillow. Duvet. Okay, duvet gets it. I mean, last night, you didn't need a duvet, did you? But the point was, I threw that one in, you're all like, I can't choose between a pillow and a duvet. I need both of these things. This, uh, this game in our house used to became, become known by one of the choices that we always used to start with, which was pants or boxers. Yeah, I thought we could go there this morning. No, that's not gonna help anyone this week or in the weeks to come. So we'll move right on. The point is this, some choices are easy. Some choices we find much harder. There's some things we can easily forego, 
but there are some decisions that we come to where we are not sure if we're willing to let go of something. We're not sure if we can rule it out. We're not willing to lose something. And when Jesus begins with these words in Matthew 6, he's speaking of some big choices that affect our hearts and our lives. And the choices that we all make, either subconsciously or consciously, we choose this or that. And choices impact our hearts and our lives. So we're not playing the game anymore, so don't raise your hands at this point. But essentially, Jesus is saying some of these things. He says, your heart is where your treasure is, so is it earth or heaven? And by heaven, he means the dwelling place of God. Not a place in eternity for another time, but the place where God rules and reigns. Jesus says, your outlook affects everything. So is it generous or stingy? He says, you can't serve two masters. So is it God or money? Big choices. It's a high stakes this or that that Jesus is talking about to make his listeners think, perhaps to make us think today, which is first? Which is the priority in my heart? Which is first? If something's first, then it is before all others. This is what the dictionary said. Before all others with respect to time, order, rank, and importance. It implies that something is earlier and above all that it's in the first place. And in all of our lives, there'll be something that's first, something that is above all. Jesus uses this phrase not about what is first, but what do you seek first? The New Testament Greek, zeteo, seek, it's to look for, to seek out, to try to obtain, to strive, to possess. Jesus is saying, what is it that you're striving for above all, which is first? Of course, it's really normal for us, there's many things that vie for our attention and for first place. There's many things that compete and contend in our hearts. The pursuit of money and wealth, the desire, the, the wanting to feel happy, a need for comfort, or maybe we pursue protection and security. Maybe we pursue being in control. Perhaps it's a desire for a relationship or a partner or a family that is the key thing. These are not bad things, but are they first? For others of us, it might be career aspirations. Perhaps the car that I have my eye on. It's a very good model. It's a slightly newer Toyota Corolla. Yeah, that was a joke. Don't worry. You see, that's not the battle of where my heart is. It may be for you. My battle is something different. Maybe the thing that you're running after is success. Success for yourself or success of your team or your child or some other expression. We may run after being known or being liked. Maybe we desire to be an influencer of some kind. Or maybe there's some other thing that I haven't named, but you know in your heart, it's what you seek first. Sometimes we have to make decisions about what is going to be first. Will it be this or will it be that? As a young person in my teens, uh, I was a follower of Jesus, but also a passionate hockey player. And uh, I would have played every day of the week if I could. And finally, at the age of 17, I got through the county trials and got a place in a county squad, which had been a dream of mine for a number of years. 
And I went along to the first training only to find out that every single game that would be played would be on a Sunday morning. And I remember wrestling, because I'd wanted this for a long time, but I also wanted to follow Jesus, and I knew that Sunday was his day, and Sunday morning and worshiping him was a key part of following him. And I wrestled. My parents just allowed me to make the choice. I'd wanted this for a long time, but I knew I didn't want it to be first. And even though there were many other things that I needed to sort out in my life, I knew I didn't want to conceive this. I needed and I wanted to worship Jesus at the start of the week. And so I resigned from the squad, laid that down, and committed into church. I'm not saying you should never play sport on a Sunday or a Sunday morning, but I knew in my life that there was a wrestle over what was first, and I've got to say 30 years on, I have no regrets. See, Jesus in this section, he's concluding this idea of this or that. You can't serve both God and money. And when we read these verses in our Bibles, we then come to a big heading that says, do not worry. It's been put in there by the translators, and so we think we're getting into a new section. But Jesus then says, therefore, which if you've got a therefore, it means it relates to something else. You've got to ask, what's the therefore there for, as you probably heard us say. It's there because this relates to what's gone before. Jesus is saying there's these things, it's this or that, therefore I tell you don't worry. And this may seem a really strange direction for him to go in to be drawing some conclusions from where he's begun. What does this or that have to do with not worrying? And these are some of the things he says in the verse. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Someone needs to hear that this morning. You're much more valuable to your heavenly Father than the birds of the air. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Anyone manage that? No. He says, so verse 31, do not worry, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Don't worry. Did you hear that? Repeatedly in Jesus' words, don't worry. Worry is to torment yourself and uh, suffer from disturbing thoughts, cares, or anxiety. Is there anyone in the room who's never experienced worry? Okay, we're, we're all normal. We're all normal human beings. You know, all of us, to a greater or lesser extent, know what this is about. We know what it is to experience worry. It's part of the human condition, but it does feel like in our society at the moment, there's a pandemic of worry and anxiety. And I'm sure uh, this has happened to you, that when you are feeling anxious, somebody says, don't worry. And of course, when somebody says, don't worry, all the anxiety just melts away, doesn't it? And maybe, maybe not. We hear those words and often they don't make a difference. But Jesus still says, don't worry. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat and drink, and what you'll wear. Don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. 
the pagans run after this, these things. By pagans, he's saying the people who don't know me, the people who don't know there is a Father in heaven. See, Jesus wants them to see that their worry has to do with what they're running after. It's about what they're seeking. It's about what they're driving at and what they're striving to obtain. It's about what they're seeking first. You see, worry has to do with our view of who's in charge, who is sovereign, and who is the boss, who is calling the shots. That's why Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry, don't worry, but do seek his kingdom. Seek the kingship and the rule of God. Seek after his rule and reign. Pursue his control. You see, worry and anxiety is often, not always, but very often, it's an indication of something that we want to be in control of, or we feel we should be in control of, or we just feel we would like to have more control of. Jesus is pointing out to the people, he says, you're running after stuff as though you're the ones who are in control. And this is very true for all of us. We live with the illusion that we are in control. It's what our world wants to believe, and a phone in our hand only makes us feel more like we're in control. We live like it all depends on us, and we want that control, or at least the illusion of control. And when we come across something that we are unable to control, when it is beyond our sphere of control, maybe a bill is beyond our limit, or perhaps a diagnosis that is beyond treatment, or something else we know that we can't control, it causes us worry, anxiety. Friends, we were not actually designed and made to be in control. We were not designed and made to be the boss. We were not meant to build a kingdom for ourselves. We were designed and made by the creator God, by the Lord of the cosmos. We are designed to have one who has numbered our days and will take us home in his good time when it pleases him. The sovereignty is his, the control is his, the kingdom is his. And he made us with agency, an active role, not a passive role to play in life. We have agency, but control, that's his. Control belongs to God. And friends, it's part of our fallen humanity that rebels against God's rule and God's control that says like Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3 in the garden, wants to be like God and wants to take control. Doesn't want to trust, doesn't want to leave some things in the hands of another. And so often we make a grab for control, running after things we think we need for survival or success or for happiness, consciously or subconsciously. We make a decision to seek those things first. We think we must have them. Otherwise, life's not gonna be okay. And we're surrounded by a culture running after all manner of things which people believe they must have and must have control of for life to be all right. Even it seems at the moment to be able to control or determine your own gender. And these matters, they're so complex. They require us to be deeply compassionate as Christians. But Jesus here is talking about dealing with the cancer of worry, and that the result of grabbing for control and running after the same stuff that everyone else is, everyone who doesn't know that there's a God they can trust, doesn't know they have a heavenly Father who designed them, made them, loves them, values them, 
knows what they need, is invested in them. And he's saying, don't worry. Don't need to worry. If you want to deal with worry, seek first his kingdom, his rule, his control, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's saying, stop trying to control and go after all the things you think you need or want and trust. Jesus is saying the key is what's first. What are you seeking first? You see, there's only one way around with this that it can be life-giving. There's only one way around that it comes with the promise of everything being given to you as well. Because he isn't actually saying go without. He isn't saying cut back. Although for some of us that might just be helpful practical advice. He's saying seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Allow him the position of full control and the rest will follow. Perhaps not everything you want, and perhaps not everything the way you want it, but everything you need, because your heavenly Father knows what you need. And I might suggest that our maker knows better what we need than we know ourselves, like a parent who knows they won't just give sweets all the time to their two-year-old, even though that may be what is requested. Jesus says, therefore, do not worry, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As we come to Matthew 6, the verse itself actually just reads, uh, seek first his kingdom. And it's really important that we understand whose kingdom. Whose kingdom are we talking about? Which kingdom? Whose kingdom are we seeking above everything else? And the answer, of course, is found in the preceding verse. When you read through it all, it makes sense. He says, don't worry, because the pagans run after that stuff, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He's already talked about the birds and the heavenly Father feeding them and valuing those he's speaking to more than that. So whose kingdom is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of their heavenly father. And he doesn't just call them my heavenly father or our heavenly father. He says your heavenly father, your heavenly father. This is so beautiful and so important for us to grasp here because Jesus is not calling us into line with a powerful despot or some sort of military dictator. He's not calling us into something where someone's building a kingdom where you just need to fall, on, fall in line or it won't go well for you. He isn't declaring the manifesto of a regime where compliance is obligatory. But the kingdom that he's pointing to as the one we must seek first is the kingdom of your heavenly father. Each time Jesus mentions him in these verses, he says, your heavenly father. He's saying there's a divine family at the heart of this kingdom. And if you're in Jesus, you're in the family. He is your daddy. He cares for you. He's a heavenly father who already knows what you need. He knows the things that are on your heart this morning, the things you might worry about or be anxious of. He's the heavenly father who feeds the birds of the air but says, you are much much more valuable than them. He's the one who clothes the flowers of their field in all their magnificence that we would look at and marvel at and maybe even buy to put in our house. He's the one who feeds the birds of the air and he knows what you need. You might be sat near the back today, but he knows what you need. 
across the room, I'm sure there's a variety of experiences of earthly father that we have had. But whatever your experience of an earthly father, this heavenly father, he is good, he is loving, he's consistent, he's present, he knows what you need, he values you, and he wants you to have what you need. And Jesus says, when you seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of your heavenly father, when you seek his rule and reign, when you release control to him, then these things will be given to you as well. You see, your heavenly father is the God who is revealed as Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. He is the source. He is the one who sees to it. He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the sovereign and his arm is not too short. And at the heart of this kingdom call to seek first, it's an invitation into relationship with your heavenly father to relinquish control and to trust to trust and to receive this promise that all things will be given to you as well. And we can all sit here and hear messages like that. And sometimes we think, oh, this is a message for the giants of the faith, for those who find it easy to, be to uh, believe. But I love it that already Jesus has covered this because in verse 30, he says these words, oh, you of little faith. So this is an invitation for you of little faith. So if you find yourself here this morning or in the weeks in this series thinking, I have little faith, this is for you. Jesus says, you of little faith, come in, lay down your worry, relinquish control, let go of that and pursue this. Seek first the kingdom of your heavenly father. I wonder, Joshua, if you could come and help me. One other word that it would be good for us to pick up on is this word righteousness, because Jesus calls us not just to seek first his kingdom but his righteousness. And this is a word which, except in the sense perhaps when we say someone is self-righteous, when they think they're better than everyone else, we don't really use this word in our culture, but it is a deeply biblical word. The Greek word dikaiosune, or another pronunciation which may be more correct, uh, it means to be righteous. It means what is right or what is just. It means the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards and the state of being in proper relationship with God. In its simplest sense, it's what is right. Now, I think that this word is not popular in our day because the concept has been rejected. The concept that there is a standard of righteousness. Our culture, you see, wishes to say that everyone can determine what is right for them as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. But Jesus insists here as indeed does the whole body of Scripture, that there is an objective righteousness. There is a standard of what is right and what is just, and it is defined by our, by your Heavenly Father, who knows what you need. And of course, the New Testament unpacks for us how our salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is a righteousness that comes by faith, and we're put in proper relationship with God through Jesus. That's a, a gift. But Jesus' words here are pointing us to something that we are not simply to receive righteousness, but we are also to pursue it, to seek that which is right and which is just and which is in agreement with God's standards. There is a call for us to grow in the righteousness of our lives, even once we have received fully the gift of grace that puts us in right standing with God. This is to seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness. We're called to do it even when we're surrounded by a culture that may be strongly opposed to it. This is maturity, to be able to distinguish which is, between which is good and right and which is evil and to choose the good. Now, of course, if you know the New Testament, you know Paul wrote much to the churches about righteousness and often described it in lists, lists of behaviors, some things we should pursue, some things that are not in agreement with God's standard. But Jesus went about this differently. Jesus went about this telling stories, perhaps because he was speaking and not writing. Perhaps it was better for the audience that he was speaking to. He told stories, parables of what the kingdom of God is like. Many times he begins a story, says, oh, the kingdom of God is like. Stories to show what righteousness is. Stories to show what God's standard is. And in these next few weeks in this series, we're going to simply be exploring some of these stories of Jesus. So a simple question, really, as I come to finish. Because you see, we have a choice about how we'll position ourselves even before the Word of God as we look at it each week? Will you be open or will you be closed? Will you be yielded or will you be hard-hearted? Will you be teachable or will you be resistant? Choice is yours. I want to invite us as we start and as we set out, let's lay down our control and come to our Heavenly Father and ask him to help us to embrace his word, to let it do its work in our hearts and lives so that we might seek him first and receive his promise that all things will be given as well. I wonder if we can stand and we're gonna pray before we worship again. Father, we thank you that you are not a God who is coercive, but you give us choice. You give us free will. But we know that your kingdom is coming because it says in your word, Lord, the day will come when it will be said that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And we know we need your help, Lord, for us to get in line with your kingdom now, for our hearts to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all the many things that crowd in that our hearts desire and that demand our attention. We stand before you today. We say, Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you that you show us the way. And we pray that you would unfold your word to us in these next few weeks. That we would have a better understanding than ever of your kingdom and of your righteousness and what it looks like and what that means for us. And you would help us, Holy Spirit, to make choices, to come open, to lay down control, to let you be king and Lord to have your way in our lives and that as we do so, all these things would be added to us. And we ask it in your name, amen. 